I've been screaming from the rooftops about this for weeks. Status quo has been covering it for weeks. Uh, and, of course, there was no urgency for Mitch McConnell, for President Trump, from Steve Mnuchin. We have a double whammy here. Unemployment is expiring. The eviction moratoriums are up throughout the United States. Uh, let me just show you this graph, which is really, really something. CNBC did this graph. But uh, just look. Look at the, poten- the potential number of people per state facing evictions. Renter households unable to pay rent and at risk of eviction during the coronavirus pandemic. New York, 46%. Connecticut, 41%. Massachusetts, 27%. Go down the line, Ohio, 41%. Pennsylvania, 40%. New Jersey, 44%. Tennessee, 58%. Oh, my God. L.A., which is ravaged by COVID right now, 50%. Florida, 51%. Texas, 48%. Uh, Put this in the super chat if you want to look at it uh, by your state. So you would think, you would think, maybe, just maybe, this would be a kind of urgent thing. Like the first thing would be to extend the national moratorium on rent and evictions. First of all, I don't even think it's good enough to extend the eviction on moratorium because you're just kicking the can down the road. Really, you're kicking the death sentence down the road. There's no cancellation of rent as far as I've seen. So, all right, you're going to expand the moratorium. That's not giving real relief because at some point, the eviction moratorium is going to run out. And then guess what? Then guess what? All of these renters are going to owe. It could be. Over $10,000, possibly more, in back pay for the rent. It's insane. We should have just frozen, canceled, whatever you want to call it. Rent, mortgages, utilities. So it's all across the board for renters, for landlords. Because not all landlords are awful you know, people. They owe money to banks too. A lot of them are just small, mom and pop type people that rent out apartments or what what have you so we can't it's not all bad landlords so you're, you're seeing 50 percent possibly facing evictions in a lot of those states coincidentally some of those states are the hottest zones florida texas and it's currently not even in the republican bill and it's a small 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 part of the democrats plan disgracefully Oh, you know what the Democrats are coming up? This is the Democrats' bright idea. Kamala Harris, who we'll get to, is about to be chosen as Joe Biden's vice president, it looks like. The federal eviction moratorium expired last week, ending protections for approximately 12 million renters. I would argue it's more than 12 million. A patchwork of state and local eviction moratoriums are elapsing, or will in the coming weeks, and expanded unemployment insurance guaranteed by the CARES Act will also run out by the end of the month, eliminating $600 a week. To try to ease this crisis, Democrats in Congress have proposed new legislation to help Americans face evictions. I love that this is, this is framed as actually helping. On Tuesday, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, which frankly, the squad needs to consider kicking her ass out. Sorry to say, you are not progressive if this is what you're proposing. 
And Rosa DeLauro, a representative from Connecticut, and Kamala Harris are introducing the Housing Emergencies Lifeline Program, which will provide funding so that at-risk of evictions can access legal representation and any evictions will do limited damage to renters' credit. Quote, housing is a human right, and in the face of impending eviction tsunami, we must take a bold, urgent action to affirm that the right and protect the millions of families facing housing instability, Presley said. The HELP Act would allocate $10 billion in emergency solutions grants, which provides funding to states and localities for programs related to things like homelessness prevention and outreach to go towards funding legal representation for those on the verge of being evicted. Oh, so thank you so much. Thank you so much. Kamala Harris, Ayanna Presley, I forgot the other one. During a pandemic, now I have the relief. Oh, thank God for relieving me of the stress. I'm still going to get evicted, but you'll provide the lawyer to go with me to housing court to do what exactly? Housing courts are notorious, at least in New York, I would imagine, all over the country. Very, very uh, preferential to landlords. This is capitalism, baby. I don't care if there's a pandemic. Show me the money or you're out. That's how this country works. Because they ain't a country. It's the United Corporations of America. Legal? You're providing lawyers for when I get evicted? I'm still getting evicted. I'm still going to have to undo, deal with the stress of that. That's no guarantee that, okay, what's the best case scenario? That that lawyer is going to get me an extra three weeks to a month before I get evicted? Because the job market is not coming back. It's not that I don't want to work, as the Republicans keep saying. There are no jobs. We're in a pandemic without a vaccine. Hello? This is what the Democratic Party does. Let's not actually fight for canceling the rent. Why? Because our donors are top, uh, some of our top donors are from the real estate industry. Some of our top donors are financial lawyers. Some of our top donors are Wall Street. And what is that whole revolving door very, very, very invested in? The real estate developers that fund Kamala Harris. The financial lawyers that fund Kamala Harris. Wall Street banks that fund Kamala Harris. They're all heavily invested in getting that rent paid, baby. They're all heavily invested in, you know, economic development, i.e. gentrification, closing down hospitals, uh, pushing poor black and brown people out of communities so that we could build high rises at insane prices. That's who's funding our politicians. As such, the politicians to make it look like they're doing something for us. And this is both sides. It's not just the Democrats. Republicans are just as corrupt. That's why they're not calling for canceling rent during a deadly pandemic where over 50 million people have filed for unemployment because their donors won't let them. It's not in their donors' interest. Their donors have to get paid, and they represent the donors, not us. So, sorry, but somebody needs to do a security check next time Ayanna Presley comes to the squad meeting because if that's the best you got, you are not a progressive if that's what you're proposing. Having a lawyer present as I get my ass kicked out the door. 
You know how we say crumbs for the worker bees? That's less than crumbs. And that's not going to help the most vulnerable people right now in the United Corporations of America. By the way, not such a good idea during a pandemic to be forcing people out of their homes, lawyer or no lawyer, to go to housing court with 21 states have increasing COVID cases. We're going to start throwing how many people are going to be rushing to housing court during a pandemic with a Kamala Harris-provided lawyer. President Trump called for a quick fix Wednesday to addressing expiring unemployment benefits and a moratorium on evictions, saying that other parts of the GOP's $1 trillion coronavirus bill can wait. The rest of it, we're so far apart, we don't care, we really don't care. Well, that's finally he's telling the truth. Trump told reporters outside the White House referring to divisions between the two parties. Democrats have repeatedly rejected the idea of a piecemeal approach that would involve a standalone unemployment insurance bill. Asked Wednesday whether she thought the idea thought of the idea, Speaker Pelosi replied, nothing, not even not much, nothing. Senate Leader McConnell has not embraced the approach either, insisting any bill must include a five-year liability shield for businesses, health care providers, and others, a non-starter for Democrats. Let me break that down into English and translate what Turkey Neck McConnell is saying. We need to protect our Wall Street friends, our fossil f***s, big pharma, big real estate, uh, chamber of commerce types, any any constituency of the Republican Party from liability. Meaning, if big, um, you know, whether it's the Home Depot owner, whether it's Walmart, whether it's Target, whatever it is, Amazon warehouses, doesn't matter. We need liability so that they could continue taking laissez-faire, careless um, safety protocols. I'm looking at you, Jeff Bezos. So basically what McConnell wants is blanket liability so that you know corporate vultures can not put their employees first, put getting their businesses open, get get uh, gorging profits as the centerpiece and if your workers get sick well you know that's just the price of doing business these days so basically uh treasury secretary steve mnuchin who kamala harris failed to prosecute as attorney general of california we'll get to that in a little minute uh speaking alongside trump said the two sides were very far apart quote we're looking at a deadline obviously of this friday mnuchin said the president's very focused on eviction and unemployment And if we can't reach an agreement by then, the president wants to look at giving us more time to negotiate. Trump added, we're focused on those two things. We want to take care of them now. The rest we could discuss later. So let me just boil this down. They can't come up with a solution. They can't come up with a solution. They're far, far, far apart. They knew this deadline was coming weeks ago. It's past. July 26th was the expiration of those $600 a week unemployment. But look how quickly they bailed out those banks in 2008. It took them less than 48 hours to give almost a trillion dollars. It ended up being more than a trillion dollars to Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, all of them, AIG. Then look at March and April. It took them... A few days, just a few days, to give four to six trillion dollars to multi-billion dollar corporate conglomerates. The Federal Reserve has been pumping out money 
it took them no time for the corporations and the banks. No time at all. But for actual human beings, for living, breathing people, black, brown, indigenous, white, mostly worker bees living paycheck to paycheck, well, you know, we're far apart. Well, you know, we don't want to incentivize people, giving them more money not to work, giving, giving them more money than they, would work, than they would make actually at their jobs, even though they can't go back to their jobs because it's a pandemic. You see the difference? Oh, long negotiations when it comes to avoiding economic calamity for the working people of America. And by the way, this is bipartisan. Let's not get it twisted. Yes, Trump is in the White House. Uh, Republicans control the Senate. So on the surface, it's the Republicans in control of what happens. But the Democratic Party knew this was going to happen. They're not stupid. Pelosi's a lot of things. She ain't stupid. She knows what she's doing. They knew what they were doing when they agreed to this terrible original bill. You know the you know the car. Nancy was driving the getaway bill, uh, driving the getaway car. As McConnell and Trump looted the Treasury, they exploited a deadly pandemic to give their friends in corporate America trillions of free money with zero strings attached. The Republicans could have not robbed that bank, that is the United Corporations of America's Treasury, without Pelosi and Schumer driving the getaway car. All that's missing is Mitt Romney's dog on the hood. I thought that was clever. So now Democrats are coming back. Ugh, the Republicans don't care about working people. The Republicans are going to allow uh, unemployed people to have their um, expanded unemployment cut down from $600 a week down to possibly $200 a week. Well, you knew this was going to happen. And by the way, I tried to go live yesterday. I was having tech problems. The Democrats... Even before getting in the room with Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell has not even been in the room for negotiations. Look at this from House Whip Steny Hoyer. It does seem like you might be willing to come off some from $600, not to $200, but you're not demanding $600 or bust? Look, it's not $600 or bust. Uh, You know, you don't. Speaker Pelosi said the other day, which I thought was a great line, we don't have red lines, we have values. And, and we're going into these negotiations with values. Uh, to say that uh, if 600 or nothing, uh, no, that's not where we are. Okay. Uh, we're prepared to discuss this, but we're also pre- uh, not prepared, however, to let down the American people, to let down the states, the cities, the local governments who hire people who are meeting this pandemic's crisis, including health personnel. We're not willing to walk away from the American people, which we think... Boy, has Steny been hanging out with Tom Know Your Values Perez? We don't have red lines. We have values like making sure we force into a pandemic bailout bill that uh, K Street lobbyists get access to small business loans. Yes, the values of the Democratic Party. We have values like making sure while we're when we give a little kick on the behind to renters as they get evicted, we provide them with legal assistance. Those are our values. Values like affordable access access to health care 
during a deadly pandemic where tens of millions of people have lost their health care. Thank you so much, Pete Buttigieg, for the choice. Oh, the choice of private health care. Remember, we were fed this bullshit, not just by Buttigieg, by Biden, by Harris. No, 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 no. We need to give Americans the choice to actually be taken care of or be f***ed up the ass. Excuse my French. Again, Bernie Sanders, who I'm not exactly so happy with right now, but Bernie Sanders said it right. You don't start offer it. You don't start accepting half a loaf. You demand the whole loaf, particularly when you have the American people behind you. In an election year, by the way, if Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic Party would come out and say, we our red our red line is we are not budging on the six hundred dollar expanded unemployment. We will not we are taking that off the table. That has to be in there or we are not negotiating. Let the Republicans explain to the American people and the millions of unemployment uh, unemployed people right now during a deadly pandemic why they are deciding to cut it in half. They're talking about cutting it from $600 a week down to $200 a week. Well, let me tell you something. If your state, if your state unemployment only gives you between 200 and 250 a week, which I spoke with someone in Arizona and other states give really, really terrible, terribly low unemployment. So you're talking 200, 250 you get for the state, then 200, 250 uh, federal. That's between 400 and 500 a week. 400 and 500 a week? Okay, well, that's basically $2,000 a month in unemployment. Uh, try living that. Try living off that in New York, Seattle, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Philadelphia, a lot of uh, major cities in America, but even not even made, even in Idaho or these other places that maybe you could pay your rent, but then the choices come because you're not going to be able to cover everything. Do I pay my rent Do I, or, you know... What am I going to do about groceries? What am I going to do about my car payment? What about what am I going to do about my car insurance? What am I going to do about my utilities bill? What am I going to do about my student loans, uh, maintenance for the pool? Whatever the hell it is, $2,000 a month cannot get it done. But the, the Democrats, who, again, when they had leverage in the beginning, you know, this is like, this would be the equivalent of... Um, you know, during the Revolutionary War, the colonists, you know, marching in with one hand tied behind their back on horses against the British. It's insane. Absolutely insane. So, yes, Trump, awful. Republicans, terrible. Of course, I want Trump gone just like anybody else. But this, this is what we have when Trump is gone, legal assistance as we're booted out of our apartments during a pandemic. Joe Biden, apparently, uh, his feelings were so hurt by Kamala Harris going at him during that debate. You know, when she went out at, at of him for being a racist and, you know, palling around with Strom Thurmond in the 1970s, uh, putting forth, trying to put forth legislation to stop busing from happening. It was a good, good attack by Harris. Unfortunately, she didn't do anything after that for her. So Biden, because his, you know, ego and is so frail, had to write down um, 
do not hold grudges. So the Associated Press got a sneak peek of Biden's notes that he had to himself yesterday before his speech. So the notes, which were photographed uh, at a speech in Wilmington, Delaware, featured Harris's name, followed by five talking points. Do not hold grudges. She campaigned with me and Jill. Talented. Great help to the campaign and great respect for her. Uh, The Biden campaign didn't go any further. The prominence of Harris on Biden's notes follows a political story in which former Senator Chris Dodd of Connecticut, a member of Biden's Biden's team vetting potential vice presidential picks, is reported as being critical of her. Oh, because we should listen to Chris Dodd, who's a who's a sexual harasser and uh, bought off scumbag. But then uh, Politico accidentally published a report. You know, all the outlets, they pre-write the stories, so they have a story written for every potential woman that will be chosen as vice president so that they could then just insert the name and publish as soon as it's announced. But they accidentally published uh, a story that Kamala Harris had been named as vice president. Uh, They even had a quote. They even had a quote in there uh, attributed to Biden who said... uh, Biden called Harris a worthy opponent and a worthy running mate. So that's interesting. That's definitely interesting because, you know, why would Joe Biden, who honestly, he definitely needs notes so he doesn't have a cognitive meltdown, that's for sure. But why would Joe Biden have at the top of his notes, don't hold a grudge against Harris, uh, you know, team player, very talented. Seems to me he might be expecting questions on the vice presidency. And, you know, he's banking on Kamala Harris being the one he's asked about. Or, or he was going to say something during that press conference about Kamala Harris, uh, either referencing some of the bills she's been proposing. Uh, She has proposed more than legal assistance for those getting evicted lately. And then when, if he, if he brought her up in the press conference, which I don't believe he did, if he was asked by uh, reporters uh, whether she was a top contender, he could reference his notes. But the bottom line is we don't know for sure, but between having notes written down for you, where that's like the first few things on your note card about Kamala Harris and then Politico accidentally publishing this and attributing a quote to Biden, which to me means possibly Biden's campaign has leaked to select outlets who he's going to pick. They would put it under an an embargo is what they call it. So we're giving you the news, but you can't publish it until this date and this time. Outlets tend to rip, you know, disregard the embargo towards the end of that embargoed time. But to me, it's going to be Cop Mala. It's going to be Cop Mala Harris. Um, because why not? It makes perfect sense if you're Joe Biden. It makes perfect sense. He is Kamala Harris. And you have to remember, Joe Biden has been very open. He's basically said, I'm only going to serve one term. I'm just a bridge. I'm a bridge to the next Wall Street bought-off neoliberal hack. 
So you really have to assume if he's picking Harris, she's going to be the golden child. She is the DNC approved. Obama approved. Clinton wing approved. Successor to basically Obama and Biden for 2024, possibly earlier if Biden doesn't finish. As this is coming out, as Biden uh, basically gave away the game, apparently some of his allies are now running a shadow campaign to stop cop Mala from becoming vice president. A group of Biden allies, including a few of his top donors, initiated a campaign against Harris a month ago, just weeks before a decision was expected. The concern focused on her attacks on Biden during a primary debate last year, bringing into question her loyalty to the former vice president. Some also argue that she's too ambitious and that she will be solely focused on eventually becoming president. So, first of all, I hate to say this because I would never, honestly, it would, it would be very, very hard for me to think of something good to say about Kamala Harris. But that is extremely sexist. You got these Wall Street donors, older white dudes who are way, way out of touch, probably have a bit of a Gordon Gecko, um, Jordan Belfort, you know, if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street mentality when it comes to women. You think they'd be saying that about a possible man? You think they'd be saying that about Cory Booker, who threw some arrows at Joe Biden during the debates, if Biden was going to pick Cory Booker? No. They're saying, oh, you know, we're a little perturbed that this woman here had the audacity to debate Biden during the primary. Tell you the truth, I wish Bernie Sanders would have went as hard as Kamala Harris did in that moment. And I'm not a Kamala Harris fan, but she did. She did Biden nasty in that debate moment, and it was a good shot that she took at Biden. Unfortunately, she doesn't have any political skills, so she wasn't able to capitalize on it. But for Biden's donors to be, you know, this campaign against Harris because she had the temerity to debate and to challenge him, it's sexist. I'm just going to say that. But putting that aside, they're afraid that she's going to be angling for president as soon as she becomes vice president. The disgruntled group of at least... Uh, A dozen Biden backers, including a few of his top donors, initiated the move against Harris close to a month ago, just weeks before a decision is expected, according to people with direct knowledge of the matter. Many who spoke to CNBC declined to be named about these efforts. In some cases, her foes have taken their concerns directly to members of Biden's VP search committee, led by former former Senator Chris Dodd, a very, very well-known scumbag. He has sexually harassed women. Uh, very, very bought off by Wall Street. Uh, Now he is a lobbyist for Hollywood. Uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti, if you live in Los Angeles, uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti is essentially the Rahm Emanuel of Los Angeles. Uh, And I don't know the other two who who previously served as counsel to the presumptive Democratic nominee. Although none of these actions signify that Biden will drop Harris from the list, the movement gives a glimpse into the effort being waged to derail her candidacy. Some remain bitter about her attacks on Biden during primary debates last year, saying they bring into question her loyalty to the former vice president. Other arg- others argue that she's too ambitious and that she will be solely focused on becoming president herself. 
Many of these Biden associates have been pushing alternatives to Harris, such as Val Demings, Karen Bass, uh, Susan Rice, and Senator Tammy Deckworth. Well, again, I'm no fan of Kamala Harris, and I'm about to show you a Hall of Fame. If you've never seen some of these clips, I'm about to take you down memory lane. But uh, honestly, I think we would want somebody ambitious thinking about becoming president because they might have to step in as president sooner than later. Have you paid attention to Joe Biden in the last year? I know the corporate media. Uh, I know the corporate media has been covering up for him as he calls himself an O'Biden, an O'Biden Obama Democrat, as he forgets President Obama's name on multiple occasions. As he, it's not a stutter, folks. He didn't stutter as vice president. He didn't stutter as a senator. As he completely loses his train of thought throughout speeches, throughout debates, as he preemptively cuts himself off from speaking during debates, you're probably going to need more than a doormat as vice president because it's not very clear whether Joe's going to be awake past 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I don't say this as an ageist. I don't say this to mock the man. Frankly, I thought it's I I thought his family, top Democrats, Obama should have should have yanked him out of there months ago. He's not well. I'm not going to place a label on it because I'm not a doctor, but he's clearly not cognitively sharp. It would be a terrible decision. Yes, a black woman would be terrific. But I've got black women that would be way better. Let's start with Nina Turner. Not going to happen, but would be way better. Second, Barbara Lee. Not going to happen, would be way better. Third, she's definitely not invited to my Christmas party, and I'm a Jew. But Karen Bass is far better than Kamala Harris in terms of progressive bona fides. She's not Nina Turner, but she's at least somewhat in the game. So let me just take you down memory lane. And this is a credit to uh, independent journalist Walker Bragman. Okay, so I say with all love and warmth (laughs) that part of the concern also for people who um, who are progressive thinking and liberal minded or just progressive thinking in terms of just fix it, fix it, is that we all have these posters in our closet that is attached to a stick, that we sometimes will card out when we're talking about criminal justice policy and those statistics that you first heard when we opened it up, incarceration, and we run around with these signs, build more schools, less jails. Build more schools, less jails. And we walk around everywhere, build more schools, we protest, build more schools, less jails. Put money into education, not prisons. There's a fundamental problem with that approach, in my opinion, and it's this. I agree with that conceptually, but you have not addressed the reason I have three padlocks on my front door. So part of the discussion about reform of criminal justice policy has to be an acknowledgement that crime does occur, and especially when it is violent crime and serious crime, where there should be a broad consensus that there should be serious and severe and swift consequence to crime. Build more schools, less jails. I'm okay with that conceptually. Well, Kamala, um, maybe you need three padlocks, which I think is a little overblown, a little 
overworried. Um, maybe because the Democratic Party, as the enablers of the Republican Party for the last 40 years, have abandoned inner cities, have not invested pretty much anything in Flint, Detroit, uh, major parts of Chicago, other than the parts that Rahm Emanuel gentrified. Uh, you go across the list, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, I could go on and on and on and on. Schools, lack of, a lack of jobs programs for black and brown people that start a mile down the line in the race for life from white people. No, no, no good jobs, no good schools, cutting community center programs, cutting youth programs. No wonder there's some crime in communities. But because you don't understand that or frankly care, we need to build we need to build more jails. Let me tell you something. You build more schools, you as a government stop giving trillions to multi-billion dollar corporate conglomerates that don't need it and start redirecting those billions to direct Government jobs programs for young, black, brown, indigenous people and poor white people. See how far, see how quickly crime goes down. It ain't rocket science. But Kamala Harris is a cop at heart. She don't get it. She don't get it. Build more schools, less jails. Yeah, I believe with that conceptually, but, you know, it's kind of like, yes, I believe as a Democrat in the idea of universal health care. We just disagree on the road to get there. We will be saying and hearing and uh, taking in that same bull for the next 50 years if progressives don't seize power. Because Kamala Harris doesn't understand crime as an issue is an issue because you've given millions and millions of people, mostly disadvantaged and minorities, no other choice. That's not defending people committing crimes. But if you don't have any way to provide for your family, you know, sometimes you're going to sell drugs. If you don't have any way to provide for your family, sometimes you're going to steal. If you don't have any way to provide for your family, sometimes you're going to put forth counterfeit bills. And I could go on and on and on. But the types of crimes where her donors commit, oh, Kamala Harris isn't as swift. Go ask Steve Mnuchin, who should have been in jail, but Kamala Harris decided not to prosecute. Go ask all the leading bankers. It's not Kamala's fault they weren't, but Obama didn't prosecute that. So Kamala believes in swift justice for people who have been forgotten and basically deserted by the federal, state, and local government, but not for her donors. That's who would be vice president, and frankly, that's who would likely become president in 20, possibly even before 2024. But there's more. Here's Kamala Harris uh, bragging about why she brought charges uh, against single mothers, a single homeless mother of three who was working two jobs because her children were truant. And through that initiative, we found cases like the case of the woman who was by herself raising her three children, holding down two jobs, and homeless. She just needed some help. 
but by shining this infrared spotlight of public safety on the fact that her children aren't in school. We were able to figure that out, get her access to services that exist, and through that process, the attendance of her children improved. We dismissed the charges against her, and overall, we've improved attendance for this population in San Francisco by 20% over the last two years. So I declared then, bad guy, mm -hmm. I'm going to start prosecuting parents for truancy. Mm. If you know anything about San Francisco politics, you would know that there were tomatoes <laughs> being thrown left, right, and center. I had no intention or desire to prosecute parents. Yeah. But shedding this infrared spotlight that we have of public safety on an issue that is a seemingly small issue. Right got the attention we needed, and we ended up through a series of approaches improving attendance by over 30%. As Attorney General, last year I published the first study on elementary school truancy in the state of California. We had one million California elementary school students who were truant, 250,000 who missed over 10% of the school year, 44,000 who missed over 20% of the school year. It is well documented. An elementary school truant is four to five times likely to become a high school dropout. 82% of the prisoners in the United States are high school dropouts. When you look at the statistic in terms of African-American men, an African-American man who's between the age of 30 and 34, if he is a high school dropout, is two-thirds likely to be in prison, have been in prison, or dead. The numbers and the statistics are absolutely clear. There's a very direct connection between public education and public safety. And so if we're going to be smart as in a system and effective, let's deal with it while we can actually have an impact. And it, by the way, even if you don't care about children, it's just going to be cheaper. I want somebody who brags about looking mean to single homeless mothers, intimidating them so they'll get their act together and send their kids to school. You know, we don't need to try a different approach like possibly sending a social worker there without the threat of arrest, possibly sending health officials, social workers to actually right off the top, instead of looking mean, looking like you're there to help. No, no, no. Let's brag about looking mean for the single homeless mothers, which, by the way, ironically, there might be a lot more of those now with that eviction moratorium coming up. Because like, we, like we've said, the cliff is already here. People are hanging off the cliff. But then there's this one. So nothing I am saying um, suggests that someone should be forgiven without consequence for committing a crime. You commit a crime, you have to be held accountable. But there is life after that, and there are steps we can take after that person has been held accountable to achieve our goals of public safety. And um, so, for example, in Back on Track, we require the offender to plead guilty. Why? Because he's guilty. <laughs> right? The guy was out there slinging drugs on the corner. And some people would like to suggest it's a victimless crime. I would tell you it's not. You were guilty. You were out there. And by the way, I don't feel sorry for you. And I am not going to forgive you for committing a crime. But I do know what you're capable of after you've been held accountable. So let's get on the path of dealing with that also. Don't you think Kamala Harris wishes she was around during the good old days when Joe Biden was talking about getting those predators off the street? When Joe Biden was pushing the crime bill.
I mean, you can't make this up. This is who Joe Biden is most likely to choose. You want to talk about mobilizing mobilizing the base? Well, I don't know if you're going to be mobilizing uh, younger black people with Kamala Harris as your choice. I don't know if you're going to be mobilizing a lot of younger brown people if Kamala Harris is your choice. I don't know. Bernie had a lock on Latinos. I don't know how many Latinos are voting for Joe Biden uh, when they didn't support him in the primary. And you basically have this cop talking about going after single homeless mothers. Talking about how it put a smile on her face. And, you know, the list goes on. Let me move on because President Trump has notched up the racism. A couple couple notches. I rarely cover Trump's tweets because I hate how the media just all they do is cover Trump's tweets. But I couldn't ignore this one. He tweets out, I'm happy to inform all of the people living their suburban lifestyle dream that you will no longer be bothered or financially hurt by having low income housing built in your neighborhood. Your housing prices will go up based on the market, and crime will go down. I have rescinded the Obama-Biden AFF rule. Enjoy. Uh, I don't even know where to start with this. First of all, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know what the Obama-Biden AFF rule was. It probably didn't go far enough, but let's focus on Trump for a minute. Um, I'm happy to inform all of the people living in this suburban lifestyle dream that you will no longer be bothered or financially hurt, uh, be bothered or financially hurt by having low-income housing built in your neighborhood. Your housing prices will go up based on the market. So really, what Trump just tweeted, for lack of a better word, is we're getting rid of the black people in your neighborhood. Don't you worry about it. We're getting rid of the black people. We're getting rid of the brown people. You will not have to deal with that. Your housing, the value of your house won't go down because of those pesky minorities. You'll be safer. I mean, it's not like breaking news that Trump is racist. But I I find this, you know, I kind of respected Trump. I don't know if respect is the right word, but kind of at least admired that this guy was like, he, he, he knew he was a real, real visionary politician. He had the pulse of voters in 2016. He realized that, you know, tens of millions of people, particularly in the Rust Belt, were just beaten up. They were a mix of hopeless, desperate, angry. Their jobs had been offshored for years, for decades, really. And they were tired of the Democratic Party, who signed the bills and law into law that uh, sent their jobs overseas. They were tired of normal politicians. He obviously didn't mean anything. He didn't actually follow through on most of the good things he said he would do. He followed through on a lot of the bad things he said he would do. But at least he had the pulse. At least he had the pulse of the country. But I don't know exactly. I mean, it goes without saying that tweet is beyond racist, beyond deplorable. It's disgusting. It's just, it, it, it's 
still shocks me to this day. I know nobody's shocked anymore by what Trump puts out there, but it's just shocking to this day uh, that this man is the president of the United States. But basically, it seems he thinks the road to victory is by being more racist and the road to peeling back a lot of those suburban voters that Biden has gotten in his corner. And by the way, Biden is a different kind of racist. He's not as viscerally racist, but his policies are certainly racist. He still won't uh, decriminalize marijuana. I think that's racist. Still won't provide Medicare for all for all people. Healthcare outcomes are disproportionately worse for black people. He's still doing fundraiser after fundraiser after fundraiser with Wall Street donors and executives who disproportionately prey on black home on black homeowners, charging them higher interest rates. So there's just different kinds of racism in America. There's the make your blood boil racism because it's just sirens. He's not dog whistling anymore. Trump is just blaring this out in sirens. And then there's just the country club Republican type of racist, which is really Joe Biden. And he's not apologizing. He doesn't apologize for it. Oh, the crime bill? No, no, that didn't really do. That wasn't really, really... Um, it didn't usher in mass incarceration. That's bull****. But Trump's strategy here, if he thinks that he's going to peel back um, Democratic uh, suburban voters that went for the Democrats in 2018, went for Biden in the primary by basically telling them... Uh, I'm repealing whatever law, so you're not going to have any low-income housing, i.e. black people, poor black people, poor brown people. I don't think that's going to work. I think he's no longer has the pulse of the voters he would need to win. Because suburbia right now, they're not that concerned about black people coming into the neighborhood. Uh, They're concerned that there is a deadly pandemic that this president is telling people to inhale substances for, but he ain't doing a damn thing about it. That's what suburbans, suburbia, is worried about right now, the coronavirus. They're not staying up at night worried about low-income housing. Maybe Wall Street donors are. Maybe Trump's donors are. Maybe Democrat donors are because it's not good for their development projects and their profits. But suburban voters, they're not going to switch to Trump because he assures them we're going to allow even less black people to live in your neighborhood. So, you know, if you're going to be this disgusting racist, and again, let's... Let's not pretend that's not what this tweet is. The suburban lifestyle dream, you won't be bothered anymore or financially hurt by those low-income housings. This is not going to get you. Suburban voters. Oh, we do have beach towels in that store? You could go buy beach towels in that store too. I didn't even know this. The only strategy... That would work if you're Trump, not that he's watching and not that I care. I don't care. I don't want Trump to win. I don't want Biden to win either. Honestly, I think this is a shoot yourself in the face or slowly poison yourself situation. 
Trump re-election, shoot yourself in the face. Slowly poison yourself, Biden. Either way, you're probably going to die. I'm just keeping it real. What Trump, if he was smart, if he would stop listening to Mitch McConnell, if he would stop listening to Chamber of Commerce types, if he would stop listening to Mark Meadows, if he would stop listening to Sheldon Adelson, if he would stop listening to whichever Koch brother is still alive and start listening to his instincts, yes, he's corrupt, but he did have good political instincts, guess what? He would say, to hell with it. We are giving direct money every month, not set to expire. Every single month, we are giving $2,000 a month. Say it was his idea, even though it was Bernie's idea. We're giving $2,000 a month to every American people until Dr. Fauci and the doctors declare it's safe to return to work and schools. Done. That's what he should do. If you just said, to hell with it, we're not doing this patchwork stuff. We're not extending unemployment for another eh, two months or two weeks. Uh, not, not another $1,200 check. Everybody gets $2,000 a month more if you're a married couple, more per child. If Trump would say, you know what? Right now, everybody needs to be covered by Medicare. He doesn't need to call it Medicare for all. Just say, right now, we're going to expand coverage for all the people that lost their insurance. We're going to expand health care through the Medicare program. Done. Of course, I would expect if he wins re-election, they will reverse all of this within a day. But it's the way to win election now. So what is Trump doing We know you're a racist, but it's not going to win you the presidency. Biden's campaign is doing the right thing by hiding him 75% of the time. By literally making him read off of a teleprompter. By giving him notes, reminding him not to hold grudges like he's a 14-year-old teenager. The people in the suburbs don't give a shit about low-income housing right now. They care about their children being alive, their spouses being alive, and them being alive and not getting sick with coronavirus. And oh, by the way, just to be clear, not that Joe Biden is tweeting this kind of racist but let's not pretend that the Democratic Party has not been doing everything in its power for the last 20, 30 years to prevent low-income housing in neighborhoods. It's called gentrification, or as I like to call it, economic terrorism what Trump is describing is gentrification you push poor people out of where they live you prevent low income housing because your real estate developers your real estate donors want carte blanche to build high rise condos and high luxury apartments build it over demolish community centers so you could build apartments, demolish hospitals so you could build luxury condos, put in a Whole Foods. That's called gentrification or economic terrorism. So again, this is a choice between a very, very outspoken and in-your-face racist or the party that implements the racist policies without being viscerally, verbally racist. That's the choice. 